Amen. Lord, we do praise and worship and honor your name. You are a great and an awesome God. We are so blessed to be your sons and daughters adopted into your family, that we can know you in an intimate and a personal way. Lord, we pray as we go to your word right now, Lord, that you would be our teacher. Lord, we pray that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. Lord, we don't want to hear the words or the opinions of man, but we want to hear the Holy Spirit speak. And Lord, I pray we'd be sensitive to your word. And I pray that every one of us would understand and know you've brought us here by divine appointment tonight. Nothing happens by chance. You want to minister to every heart that is here. Lord, to know you is to love you, so we want to know you better. Minister to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Santa Cruz. It is great to have you here. Good to see you on this wet Wednesday night. Turn your Bibles to Ruth chapter 4, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Lord willing, we'll finish up uh, the book of Ruth tonight. I want to encourage you, if you're coming on Sunday, if you're not coming, you need to, so just come. And, and uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 for this coming Sunday. Read ahead. As we often say, read the book. Don't wait for the movie, right? Get into God's Word. Be prepared. Pray and ask God to minister to your heart. Spend time seeking His face. All right. Tonight, Ruth. Isn't this been a great book? What a great picture of our Savior and His incredible love for us. And I love the Old Testament because on every page we see our Savior. History truly is His story. And as we look at the Old Testament, every prophecy, everything is pointing to our Lord and our God and our Savior and our King. And as we come to tonight's text, we're going to see that culmination of God's divine plan for Ruth and Boaz. Plans that from man's perspective uh, may seem random or by chance that these two would come together. But as we, as we all know, nothing happens by chance in the kingdom of God. God is sovereign. God is in control. Even when we're in trials and difficulty, it's all a part of God's plan, and we need to learn to trust Him. So God brought them together, and it should be of great comfort to each of us that while the events going on around us may seem chaotic or even out of control, that God is in control. That while the trials may surprise us, they never surprise God. That even when we are faithless and bitter, God is loving and gracious. That even when we're blind to Him, His eyes are on us. That by His grace, He will make an opportunity for each of us to get to know Him, as He did with Ruth. We must simply respond with a heart of love and submission and faith. The result, as we will see tonight, is the becoming His precious bride. You know, God desires more than just to know you or know about you. He wants to have intimate fellowship with you. You know, as a youth pastor, I used to say to our kids all the time, are you married to Jesus? Because He is our groom, amen? And God desires that we would have intimate fellowship with Him. Be hot or cold, if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. You know, there's enough people saying they know God, but not living like it. And if you have intimate fellowship with Him, it ought to impact how you live every aspect of life. You know what? As we fall in love with Him, our life here and now will bear fruit and we'll have intimate fellowship with the Redeemer that will last for an eternity. As we've been talking about, Ruth is a picture of us. A stranger living in a land of idolatry and immorality. She meets this Israelite man by chance, we know there's no such thing, who had fled to Moab and it was only there because of rebellion. And in rebellion against God's command, faithlessly leaving behind the land of promise, God still was in control in bringing them together. Ruth then experiences tragedy. Her husband, father-in-law, and brother-in-law all die, 
leaving her and her sister-in-law and her mother-in-law all as widows. Naomi becomes bitter. Remember, she, she, her name means pleasant. And when she does come back, she says, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. And maybe you're here tonight, and you've gone through a tragedy, and you've become bitter against God. He, you need to know that He loves you. And He'll take even the most difficult trials and use them for His glory if you will let Him. They even, she even got so bitter, she told the girls to go back to their pagan, idolatrous land. They're in the pagan land. She decides she's going to go back to Bethlehem, but she's not going back to Bethlehem, the house of bread, because the Holy Spirit is drawing her and she's, you know, repenting and she wants to be restored to God. She's going back because she hears there's bread there. And often we do the same thing with God. We flee from Him because of our circumstances and we only go back to Him looking for a physical blessing, not because of spiritual brokenness. And this is how Naomi goes back. And we know her heart's not right because she tells Orpah and she tells Ruth, why don't you go back to your pagan people and worship your former gods and maybe you can find a husband there because if you go with me, you'll never find a husband. Now, God's plans are better than that. Amen? And we start limiting God and telling God what He can and cannot do, we've missed it. So Ruth commits, again, not only becomes bitter, but now, uh, Naomi, Ruth now says, you know what, I'm going to cling to you. Orpah left and, Naomi, and Ruth did not. Ruth hung on to her and said, your God's going to be my God. Your people are my people and where you go, I will go. And she didn't just say it with her words, she lived it out with her actions. She went back with Naomi. And they come back to Bethlehem and the people see her and she says, call me bitter. But notice that Ruth had seen something in Naomi, even in the midst of her bitterness, that she wanted to go with her to her people. That she wanted to cling to her and not return to the pagan gods. I truly believe God had spoken to her. And she comes and now she starts to serve her bitter mother-in-law. Now, that's a lesson for some of us, amen? Some of you might have bitter mother-in-laws coming over for Christmas dinner. Just remember Ruth and have a heart of a servant. So she returns to Bethlehem and she's bitter, but here's Ruth. And again, to see the sovereignty of God, that even as we're faithless and bitter, God is faithful and loving. She moves home for the wrong reasons, but Ruth faithfully goes out and begins to glean in the field so she can feed and care for her bitter mother-in-law. Well, when she's there, she by chance ends up in the field of whom? Boaz. And as she's in Boaz's field, by chance, we know, not by chance, but by divine appointment, Boaz happens to show up and Ruth catches his eye. And we know that what he sees, he likes. Because he says, now who's this? Who's this young woman over here? And he likes her so much that he says, you know, you let her glean wherever she wants. I've heard good things about her. She's caring for her mother-in-law, Naomi. And as a matter of fact, if you want to kick a a load out in front of her, uh, you know, knock some grain off on purpose. And don't pick it up and let her get it. And you know, this goes on for the entire harvest. And she goes home to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she's got all this grain with her. And Naomi says, what in the world happened? She said, oh, I was in the field of this man by the name of Boaz, and he showed me favor. And it's right then that Naomi starts to praise God. Because Naomi said, you know what? He's our kinsman redeemer. He's our kinsman. He's a close relative of ours. It's praise and glory be to God that he put you in that field. You know, as as Ruth simply went out and faithfully served God, she became a testimony to someone who was bitter about their faith. Guys, as we will just go out and faithfully serve God, God will use us to open the eyes of others. 
So we see as we came to last week's chapter that Ruth was faithfully serving right where she was at. She wasn't striving in the flesh. The trials and tragedies and chance meeting were all a part of God's ultimate plan to bring her exactly where she was at that moment. And then Naomi, seeing what God was doing, was excited. Well, the turning point came last week in chapter 3. Because what happened was, Boaz responds in seeing how, Naomi, or how Ruth responds to him. Boaz knew he was her kinsman, but he was not going to force himself upon her. But when she came and laid submitted at his feet, and he saw her, he said, I will do whatever it takes to redeem you. This is a picture of our God, of our Savior. Boaz is a type and a picture of Christ, and that he's our Redeemer, but he will never force himself upon us. He's simply looking for us to come and lay at his feet, submitted and broken before him, and then he will be faithful to redeem us. Now, it's not enough to see a need for redemption, though that's a good start. We must come broken and surrendered, as we saw in Ruth's heart last week. And we'll see this week, true redemption requires a near kinsman, someone who is able to pay the price of redemption, and someone who is willing to pay the price of redemption. So it's not enough to come to someone to redeem us. The person must be able to redeem us. And as we're going to see tonight, there's only one who can redeem us. And Boaz is a picture of our Savior. Now, I titled the message tonight, if you keep notes, Married to Our Redeemer. And that's God's desire and His plan. A fruitful and loving marriage requires much more than just a knowledge of each other's existence, but intimacy, fellowship, and willingness to lay down our lives for one another. Redemption and marriage both require the same thing for them to work, sacrifice. For there to be redemption, it required a sacrifice. And for a marriage to be godly, it requires a sacrifice. And in chapter 3, we saw Ruth's response, finding out that Boaz was her redeemer. And it's a picture of how we should be in a, in, again, thinking about the intimate, imminent return of our Savior. Guys, Jesus could come back any moment. And we ought to be living every day just like it. And if you were taking notes last week, we titled the message, The Wedding Day Approaches, and we saw Ruth preparing to meet her Redeemer. Then we saw Ruth completely submitted to her Redeemer. Then her listening to her Redeemer. Then her receiving gifts from her Redeemer. And then her patiently waiting for her redemption. So that brings us to the text tonight. She's waiting Boaz says, I'm going to make sure that you're redeemed. If you remember that when he went away, he went away saying to her, there's a kinsman nearer to you than me. And if he won't redeem you, I will. So she goes back and when Naomi sees her coming, she says, daughter, who are you? And she's really asking her, are you betrothed to Boaz? Are you going to be Mrs. Boaz? Is that who you are? And she says to her, she tells her, well, he promised to redeem me, but there's someone closer. So here's the thing. She knew she was going to be married. She just didn't know to who. Talk about having to put your faith in God. I'm going to be married. I just don't know to who, and I'm going to find out in the next couple of days. And so she's waiting upon the Lord. She's waiting to see what God's going to do, and Boaz has made a promise to her. So again, married to our Redeemer, we're going to see marks of the true Redeemer. These are things that must be true for someone to be the Redeemer. And then we're going to see the joyous fruits of redemption. The marks of the true Redeemer and the joyous fruits of redemption. Those are two points tonight. So let's begin in verse 1. Married to our Redeemer. Look at the marks of the true Redeemer. First of all, 
For him to be a redeemer, he must be a kinsman. Look what it says in verse 1. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. Now, understand, in the previous chapter when it ended, he promised to go and to find that other close relative and give him an opportunity to redeem Ruth. And if she would not do, he would not do it, then he was going to. If the, if the close relative won't do it, then I will do it. And again, I love the heart of Boaz because he doesn't try to shortcut God. He doesn't say, well, you know what, the other close relative, if he hasn't done it by now, he's probably not going to, so let's just get married. And you know, too often, you know, when I'm counseling people or talking to people, you know, every day, people are always trying to find shortcuts with God. You know what we do when we're trying to find shortcuts with God? We're telling God that we don't trust Him. We're telling God that we don't believe that He really means what is best for us. We think God needs a little help in hand from us. You know, every time I try to help God, it never works out too good. Amen? And we need not to be helping God. And praise God for Boaz's heart. He was obviously in love with Ruth. He had great affection for her. He was blown away by her, you know, coming to him and laying at his feet. He thought, this is incredible. This is beyond anything I could have imagined. And yet he still waited upon the Lord and said, I'm going before God before I'm going to do anything. I'm going to hear from God before I respond. I'm going to make sure that this is truly God's will for my life. Boy, can we learn from that. Amen? And there's times for us to be still and know that He is God. So He's first going to offer the opportunity to this closer kinsman to redeem Ruth. And He was willing to go and take whatever time was necessary. And again, Boaz is a picture of Christ here. Because Jesus, as He was headed to the cross... You know, he asked the Lord, you know, he asked the Father, if you could take this cup from me. But then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. What was in front of our Savior was not easy, but he was not going to take any shortcuts. And Boaz is a picture of our Savior in the way that he responds to God's will. So Boaz went up to the gate. What does that mean? You know, as Ruth and Naomi patiently waited for the groom to appear, he knew she knew she was getting married. He goes up to the gate, and the gate in those days, and those of you have been with us to Israel, it's, a, it's an area without a roof. It's, it's a walled area, usually near the entrance of the city. And it's where the people would gather, where merchandise and business transactions took place. But it was also kind of the city hall of the day, and where the elders would gather together. And they would be there, and if people had a dispute or a question or needed something to be clarified, they would go to the city gate, and there they would come before the elders, and they would seek godly counsel. Well, this is where he went. He's with the other elders, and he's waiting upon God. But I love how God, in His divine hand, brings about an immediate response. Now, it's not always immediate with God, but in this case, it is. So Boaz is seating there, hoping to see, to spot this nearer kinsman who would have also been a relative of his. If he's related to Naomi and this other person's related to Naomi, then they're related to each other. So this is not a stranger he's waiting for, but he's sitting in the gate. I have an idea, probably praying, oh Lord, let this guy not want her, I don't know. But you know, he's got a heart for her, he wants to know God's will, he's waiting at the gate, and look what it says. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Well, gee, there's a shocker. Isn't it amazing how God is always right on time? This was God's will, God's way, and God's timing. And this is what we want. 
He's sitting there waiting upon the Lord. He's not striving in the flesh. He's not hunting the guy down. He says, I'm just going to go and wait for God's perfect timing. And he said, so Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. I like the KJ, the King James Version says, ho, such a one. That's what he said. Ho, such a one. Basically what he said was, you know, in the modern vernacular, yo, bro, come here and grab a seat. That's kind of what he said. He saw him walking by. Hey, bro, come here, man. Come grab a seat. Now, I do find it interesting that he called him out, and he may have even used his name, but his name is not recorded in the Bible. And I believe this man's name is not recorded in the Bible because he proves to be a faithless man who instead of taking the place of the kinsman redeemer can't be bothered with it because it's going to cost him too much. Aren't you glad our redeemer, who paid the heaviest price of all time, didn't say, you guys aren't worth it, it's going to cost me too much. Praise the Lord for his love and his grace and his infinite mercy. His name, I believe, is kept anonymous on purpose. He lost his chance to be forever known as a redeemer in Israel. And again, it's not mentioned because he would not step out in faith. You know, I find it interesting throughout Scripture. There's a lot of unnamed people standing around. You ever notice that? And again, we're not striving to make our name known, but to make his name known. But there were a lot of unnamed people standing there when Goliath was coming down and challenging Israel, weren't there? We know that Saul was there. We know that the brothers of of David were there. But the reason that we know David's name is because David saw a man coming against his God and he was moved by the Holy Spirit and he responded in obedience and this young shepherd boy whipped the giant. Because he realized it wasn't a giant against a boy, it was a man against God. And you know what, my name is David, and if he hadn't stepped out, maybe my name would be something else today. Because you know what, it was because he was faithful that we know who he is. Amen? And the same is true here, this man was faithless, we got no idea who he is, but we know a great deal about Boaz. And again, we must not strive in the flesh, we must be obedient to what God has called us to do, but again, we don't make a name for God, we don't have his name glorified when we sit back like pew potatoes and do nothing there's a time for all of us to step out in faith so what's his name we don't know what it is and the reason we don't is because he was unwilling to to walk in obedient faith so it says so he came aside and sat down now boaz you can imagine again i'm reading into this a little bit this is your pastor's opinion but i have an idea that you know, Boaz's heart might have been skipping a little bit. You know, Ruth, in his eyes, beautiful. And she wants to be married to him. And she has come and laid at his feet. And he can't believe this. She could go be with a younger man. He's blown away. He's faithfully serving God. She's faithfully serving God. Neither one of them is striving. God's brought the two of them together. He can't believe how close he is to potentially being able to marry this woman that he has great love for. And the only thing in his, in his way is this guy sitting next to him right now. Now, in our flesh, you might want to, you know, wrap him over the head with a staff or something, right? Well, he's dead now, so now I'm the nearest kinsman redeemer. He doesn't do that. Again, he waits upon the Lord. But notice how he questions him. I find it interesting. Now, it says there, And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Now, in those days... You needed two or three witnesses. That was enough for an agreement. But you would bring ten elders together when the matter was really, really important. Proposal of marriage, a divorce, the selling of property. 
Now in the Bible, you know, ten is the number of the law, right? The ten commandments. And, and this was, it was ten men that were required to form a synagogue. And I believe they get it from this very verse. And so these ten men, these ten elders come together. And he says, you know, I need you here to be witnesses to this. Because this is some serious stuff we're going to talk about. And he's got, he's got everybody together. He's going forward in his promise to Ruth that either he's going to find the kinsman redeemer for her or he's going to redeem her himself. And notice he's quick about it. Look at verse 3. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold a piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. Now, close relative, the word there is kinsman. We've heard it. It's the word goel. He is, our, he is the goel. He is the close relative. He is the kinsman. Now, what were the duties of the goel? What were the duties of the kinsman redeemer? We've talked about this, but quick refresher. He was to preserve the family name. You know, when a brother would die, then they would, you know, the Leverite law was they would have to marry their brother's wife if she had not given birth to any children, so his brother's name would continue. He also was to keep land allotted to their family and tribe within the tribe. How did he do that? Somebody lost their land. Again, God gave it to them. It was supposed to be theirs as an inheritance forever. And if they would sell it in duress, in bankruptcy, a struggle financially, the kinsman redeemer always had the right to go in and rebuy it and bring it back into the family. The kinsman redeemer also was the one to bring justice when someone had murdered someone within their family. You guys remember the cities of refuge. Remember they could run to the cities of refuge and there you know, a manslayer could flee and there they would be safe until the death of the high priest. Again, a picture of Jesus. So these were all the things that the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, was responsible for. And with those being his responsibilities, you would think he would know who he was a kinsman redeemer to. How are you going to be responsible if you don't even know which people you're the kinsman redeemer for? Well, in the midst of all of those is Naomi. And so he shows up and he says, he tells them that Naomi has sold a piece of land. Now understand something. She was probably destitute. Uh, We know she was destitute and she had sold the property. We don't know exactly when she sold it, but she had sold the land. And again, that land would only revert back to her family if the Redeemer purchased it back, if a kinsman Redeemer purchased it back, or if it went 50 years to the year of Jubilee and then it would be restored back to her family. So she has sold the property. Now understand, in those days, when property was up, people wanted it. And so for a man coming to him and say, hey, we got a house for you. You interested in buying it? Hey, it was limited in the amount of housing, and limited in the amount of land that was available. And so this was something that would be very appealing, especially to a, this man who was probably of at least some decent wealth. So she sold a piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. Now, as we know in Scripture, that can be, it may have been literally their brother. More than likely, it just means our brother as in our relative Elimelech. So these men are related to each other. They're having this discussion. He's letting letting him know. Now, the first thing that must happen for someone to be our Redeemer, they must be a kinsman or a close relative. Now, what in the world does that have to do with our Savior? Well, before Jesus could be our Savior, He had to take on human flesh. He left heaven, He came to earth, He took on humanity that He might shed His blood to redeem us. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen? And He was willing to come and be our close relative. 
to take on humanity, to experience pain and hunger and temptation and everything, and always tempted and yet without sin, to experience everything we've, test, we've, we've gone through. And he did that out of love for us that he might be our redeemer. What a great and awesome God. And Boaz is a picture of that in that he too was a near kinsman. Not only did, it, did the mark of a true redeemer be that he had to be a near kinsman, but he also had to be able to pay the redemption price. If you're going to redeem something, you had to be able to pay the price to redeem it. Look at verse 4. And I, I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. So, he's letting him know, look, if you want to, you know, he's probably going, yeah, if you want to redeem it, go ahead. But, you know, and if not, I'll do it. Go ahead and redeem it, it's available, and you're the next in line. I'm the next in line after you, so if you don't want it, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to take it. Now, again, I have an idea, he's just, oh Lord, please. Don't want it, it's, it's goat land, you don't want it, it's bad, you know. I, I want it. And the interesting part is the, con- the, the contrast between these two men. Because one man is only thinking of the land, and Boaz is only thinking about Ruth. For the man, taking the land would require him to take Ruth. And for Boaz, getting Ruth would mean he got some land thrown in. And you know what? And I believe that's the heart of our God. He's not concerned about the land. He's concerned about the people. You're what he treasures. You're what he, you're the one he loves and he desires. He created all things. He can create as much land as he wants, but you are his treasured possession. And so we see here that for someone to be a true redeemer, they had to be able to pay the price. They had to have the, the wherewithal to pay the debt that needed to be paid. Pay the debt of the one who could not pay it. You and I have a debt that we cannot pay. And there had to be someone who could pay that debt. And so he goes to this man and tells him, if you're not interested, you know, if, hey, it's available, I wanted to bring it to your attention, and if you want it, go ahead and buy it. But if not, I'll be happy to do it. And he says, before the elders, establishing what they must have already known, that he was next in line. Let everybody know, hey, if this guy isn't the guy, I'm right here. Hey, you ten elders, if he doesn't want it, I'm, in, I'm next. I'm the next one, you can check it out, you can go, you know, hey, I'm the guy, and I'm right here, and I'm willing. And again, the only way he wouldn't redeem it is if he was unable to pay the redemption price. So how does he respond? I will redeem it. I almost imagine Boaz's heart just sinking right about then. Oh. Are you sure? Are you, you sure you really want it? Have you seen it? You know, this near kinsman was able to pay the price of redemption, but would he be willing when he knew what else was involved? Would he really be willing when he knew there was more to it than just acquiring some land. Jesus is our Redeemer. He alone is able to pay the price of our redemption because it requires the blood of a sinless, holy sacrifice. Nobody else could pay the price. Nobody else would pay the price. Nobody else did pay the price. Jesus Christ alone has paid the price. And you and I are forgiven. You know what? That's what Muhammad cannot do. Amen? 
Yeah, that's what Hare Krishna and Joseph Smith and Charles Taze Russell and Mary Baker Eddy and every other cult leader that's ever lived and every other false prophet that's ever come along, they're sinners in need of a Savior. They are not redeemers. They cannot redeem you. They cannot pay the price. They need the price paid for themselves. They're as in debt as you are, and if you're saved, they're more in debt than you are. Amen? And so they cannot forgive you. They cannot, they cannot bring you to the presence of Almighty God. Only the true Redeemer can. And the true Redeemer must be able to pay the price. But not only must he be able, he must be willing. He had to be willing to pay the price. Look at verse 5. Then Boaz said, On that day you buy the field. Now he's got one more thing, okay? All right, you want the field? i got one more thing to tell you. And I'm hoping this scares you off. Look what he says. Then Boaz said, on that day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. By the way, if you want the land, you've got to take a wife. A wife from Moab. Oh, Moabitess woman. Only time you see Boaz emphasizing this. Only time, oh yeah, she's a Moabitess, by the way, Moab, pagan idolaters down there, and you know, if you want the land, you got to take her. I'm sure it didn't happen, I can almost imagine him saying, now don't come by, he might see you, just don't, just run, just stay far away, I don't want him getting a glimpse of you, I don't want him to know what you look, just, you know, but he didn't do that, I don't know if he did that or not. So here's the point, Naomi, again, is beyond childbearing years. So for him to take the land, he's going to have to marry Ruth. Not only is he going to have to marry Ruth, but he's going to have to father a child by Ruth, which means that if he has children, they're going to have to divide their inheritance with this new child. And this is a major undertaking. little different than buying a house or buying some land. By the way, with the house comes a wife. And the obligation to perpetuate the name of the guy who died. So you're going to have kids who won't even be in your name. They'll be in his name. And they're taking some of your inheritance, by the way. So you probably don't want to do that. I can almost imagine Boaz. I'm next in line if he doesn't want to do it. But if here it is. He lays it out for him. You know, again, you're not going to acquire a lamb. You're getting a wife. So the, the goel is to perpetuate the name. Now look at verse 6. And the close relative said... I cannot redeem it for myself. Now, I have no way of knowing it's nowhere in Scripture, but can't you just see Boaz? <laughs> can't you just see him? Really, you can't. Oh, that's, that's too bad. Man, that, that's unfortunate. You know, that's really too bad. You, can, you know, <laughs> just all kinds of excited because, again, Our God is so great, and this man just faithfully serving and waiting upon the Lord, seeking and striving after nothing, and God has brought in this this godly woman who has fully submitted unto him, and he's blown away by God's incredible grace in blessing him this way. He's blown away. And he did it God's way, too. He didn't try to circumvent it. He brought it to the nearer kinsman and said, here you go. The nearer kinsman rejected it, and now it's going to be his opportunity. You know what? The nearer kinsman had the money, but not the motivation. You know, redemption comes at a heavy price, and only our true kinsman redeemer could pay the price. Only our true kinsman redeemer would pay the price. And he would, again, have to divide things up, something he did not want to do. 
Now, if Boaz is a picture of the Lord, and Ruth is a picture of us, the church, what in the world could this nearer kinsman be a picture of? Just your pastor's opinion, okay? I have no you know, clear proof on this, but to me what I see here is a picture of the law. You know, because the law can reveal our sin, but it can't redeem us. And the law was given first so that man might see his need for a Savior. The law is the one who lets us see that we're, we've fallen short, we're not good enough. And the law is something we can look at, but it cannot redeem us. It can only point us to the Redeemer that we really need. And so, praise God for the law, because it opens our eyes to our need for a Savior. Amen? Amen. The Bible says the law is a taskmaster that leads us to the cross. It can only reveal our need for redemption. So then he goes on and says, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin our own inheritance, as I set off to divide it with my family. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Boaz is going, sweet, right? All right, this is sweet. You know, did things God's way and God blessed it. And I love that. And you know what? He can go back to Ruth with full assurance that this is God's plan. Because he didn't try to circumvent God. He didn't try to do things his own way. He didn't try to get one over on the guy. He told him the truth. He shared the opportunity. The man rejected it and God was blessing him. And you know what? I love that. I love that heart to walk in the center of God's will. Now it says in verse 7 and 8, that this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning, concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was confirmation in Israel. Therefore the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, so he took off his sandal. Now if you want to read that in depth, it's in Deuteronomy 25, but let me just tell you this. When the man took off his sandal, it was an act of humility and shame. It was a way, and not only did he take off his sandal, but it says the woman that he would not redeem, the woman that he would not give a child to, was then to walk up and spit in his face. Read Deuteronomy 25. It's in the Bible, okay? Read it. So he was to take his sandal off going, I'm not going to do it, sorry. And she was to go up and shame him and spit in his face. This was an act of humility, being humbled. Because of what he had done, his unwillingness to be faithful to God. He was a nearer kinsman, but he was unwilling to pay. Much like the law is unwilling to save, or unable to save. Our Goel, it's interesting, that they would spit in the face of the one who would not fulfill his call to redemption. Our Savior came to fulfill our redemption, and they spit in his face. They spit in his face because they rejected the true Redeemer, the one who came to restore sinful man back to holy God. Verse 9, And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, Malon means sickly, by the way. She traded in sickly for God is my strength. Boaz's name means God is my strength. Malon means sickly. That's a good, man, praise God. She got rid of sickly and got God is my strength, all right? Now, that doesn't mean, oh, my husband's kind of sickly. Don't do that. All right, but look what it says here. I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren, 
and from his position at the gate, you are witnesses this day. Here's a man who was afraid, the first man, the nearer kinsman, who would not take on this wife, take on this responsibility because he didn't want to lose his inheritance. And here's Boaz who sees her as his inheritance, who sees this as an incredible blessing. And he sees that such a blessing that he, the first guy's mumbling, oh, you can have her, takes off his sandal, right? Gets humiliated. And what, is, what does Boaz do? He gets up and it's almost like he's shouting it from the mountains. You're my witnesses. I, am te- I, I was next in line. I'm buying. I want the land and I get Ruth and I, you know, I'm going to perpetuate the family for her and I'm going to give her children. And I, hey, you're my witnesses. You know what? You know what this tells me? When we get married, it ought to be a public proclamation. Amen? I'm blown away by people that want to get married in quiet. And why do I got to get, well, I got to have a big public ceremony. If the guy that wants to marry you doesn't want a big public ceremony, run from the guy. What, are you ashamed or what? Amen? We ought to stand before God and before men and rejoice in the fact that we want to be seen as one flesh. Amen? And I'm blown away. Oh, we just, you know, we just got an arrangement with God. What? You haven't gotten married and God is not condoning it? What's the arrangement? The arrangement ought to be that if we're in love, if God has put us together, we have that agape love for one another, we ought to want everyone to rejoice with us. And, you know, we want the witnesses to be there. Amen? And he's saying, you guys are my witnesses. I'm going to marry Ruth. And I'm excited. I want everybody to know it. And I love this heart. And what a picture of our kinsman redeemer. Because you know what? Our God is excited that we're his bride. He's not bummed out. He sees us cleansed to the blood of the lamb. Amen? We are a pure and holy bride before him. You know, I hear people today sometimes say that because of the state of the church that we're a defiled bride. You know what? That I reject that completely. You know why? Because... If it was based on our works for us to be a clean and pure bride, we would never be clean or pure. But it's because of His work on the cross that we are clean and pure before Him. Amen? Amen. And when He looks at us, He can't wait for that wedding day that's coming soon when we will have intimate fellowship with Him. Don't you love it? Most of you know the whole situation with Jewish marriage. You know, Jewish marriage, the, the, you know, the, Son that would come to the father, let him know that he wants to be married. They would go and they'd ask for permission. And then he would go away and he'd prepare a place. And only the father, after he would inspect it, would say to the son, okay, now you can go and be married. But before he would get married, he would send his best man running in front of him. And the best man would run into town and say, he's coming. Get ready, he's coming. And everybody would make themselves ready. And then when they came, they would have the wedding And after the wedding, the bride and the groom would go away for seven days. First time having intimacy together. Then they would come back and have a huge feast to celebrate their marriage. What a picture of Jesus. Because it says that no man knows the time, only the Father, not even the Son. And the Son has gone away preparing a place for us. And when it's time, He will be sent to return. But as we know, before Jesus came, there was a best man that came before Him, John the Baptist, the forerunner, who said He's coming. And when Jesus comes for us, we're going to go away, not for seven days, but for seven years. During the Great Tribulation, we'll be in the presence of Almighty God, and then we will come back and rule and reign with Him for a thousand years. Don't you, love the, don't you just love how God is so on top of everything? Amen? 
God just rocks, and I love His Word, and I even love the Jewish marriage tradition because it all points to Jesus. He's saying, you are witnesses. You've seen it. I've acquired Ruth as a wife. Remember back in chapter 1? Ruth seemed resigned to never be married. She was willing to serve Naomi the rest of her life. She was willing to do it. But aren't you glad that our God does exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think? Aren't you glad that our God is greater than we can even imagine? Ruth put God first, and He brought her a relationship better than she could have ever imagined. And today, God will bless those wanting to get married in the same way if they will only put Him first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Quit looking for a spouse and start looking at Jesus. Amen? You do that. You be faithful. You trust God. You fall in love with Him, and God will knock you over with your spouse. And you know what? And you won't have to strive and you'll be able to trust God and you'll know that he's the one who did it. So the marks of a true redeemer, he must be a near kinsman. Jesus took on human flesh. He had to be able to pay the price. Jesus alone is the one who could pay the price. Only he is sinless. Only he could pay it. And he must be willing to pay the price. The Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's willing. Amen. So not only do we see the marks of a true redeemer, but now we're going to finish up looking at the joyous fruits of redemption. First of all, we'll see that those fruits start here and now. Look what it says in verse 11. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Epaphra and be famous in Bethlehem. And then he said, May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. You know what's great? Is that when God's hand is on a union, we can all rejoice together about it. Amen? All the people can come together and rejoice with you. You know, if we're trying to hide a relationship from our Christian friends, that's usually not a good sign. Amen? I have a few friends that are single, and when I don't see them for months on end, I know they're hiding from me. And I know they're hiding because they're dating somebody they shouldn't be. And it always cracks me up, well, God's divine appointments, I'll run into them at the grocery store with their you know, newest girlfriend. Where'd you guys meet? Uh, uh, restaurant. Oh, you meet a bar. Well, yeah, kind of. You know. And the point is that when we're walking in the center of God's will and we're waiting for the person God has for us, the marriage can be a great celebration and we can all rejoice together because the hand of God is upon it. Amen? And all the people here are rejoicing saying, may you be blessed like Rachel and Leah. Rachel and Leah are the, quote, mothers of Israel in a sense because through them came 13 children. You know, the 12 tribes of Israel came from these two women. And he's saying, may you be just as blessed through your relationship with Ruth. May you be just as blessed. May, there, may it be fruitful. May it abound unto you because God's hand is upon it. Epaphra and, and Bethlehem are simply two names for the same place. We'll get to that in just a moment because we'll talk about that in a second. Then it says, may your house be like the house of Perez. Now what's interesting is Perez was the offspring of Judah and Tamar. And Judah was a Jew. And Tamar tricked him into sleeping with her. And it was a relationship that was not the most godly. But again, out of difficult and, and relationships that don't honor the Lord, isn't it amazing how God in His grace will still use it for His glory if we will let Him? 
Maybe you're here tonight and your marriage didn't start off right. God's not done and God can bring great things into your marriage. Amen? Maybe it started off godless. Maybe you guys started off uh, in a relationship that wasn't honoring to the Lord in the way that you treated each other. Maybe you're married and your spouse doesn't know God. You keep praying, you keep living for the Lord, and let them see Jesus in you every single day. Amen? They don't have to come to church to see Jesus. They can see Jesus in you. And you can live it out in front of them every single day. And he's saying, you know, from that union that seemed not, you know, wasn't the most godly in the way that it started, God can still bless it. And so may it be like Perez that, again, that it would be fruitful and the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. And then it says in verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. The gift of children was never taken for granted in Israel, and that they were able to raise up a son to the deceased Elimelech was evidence of God's blessing. What had seemed improbable, if not impossible, was always a part of God's divine plan. When Ruth was back growing up in Moab as a little girl, and then out of rebellion, Elimelech, God is my king, didn't act like God was his king, and he fled out of rebellion because there was no bread in the land, and he took his wife and his two sons with him, and they happened to meet Ruth. Even in their total rebellion, this was all part of God's divine plan. And she marries Malon, and he ends up dying. And this tragedy, too, was all part of God's plan. And then Elimelech was dead. And, you know, the other son, Chilion, was dead. And now they're sitting there, and they have no means of support. And they're in Moab. And this was still all part of God's plan. And then Naomi wanted to go back because she heard there was bread in the land, even though her desire and her reason for wanting to return, it was still all part of God's plan that she was willing to go back. And she goes back, and Ruth decides, you know, says, I'm going to stay with you, all part of God's plan. And I'm going to go glean, and she ends up in Boaz's field, all part of God's plan. And then Boaz shows up at the very moment that she's there, and she catches his eye, all part of God's plan. Then he chooses to bless her, even though it would seem like she didn't deserve it. This Moabitess, he blesses her. And all part of God's plan. She comes back and tells Naomi, he's blessing me. It's Boaz, it's his name. I had lunch with him today. Here's a part of it left over for you. And she says, he's our kinsman. All part of God's plan. Then Naomi, knowing, here's what you're supposed to do. You go, and then Ruth, listening and obeying and going and laying at his feet, all part of God's plan. And you know what? It's a good thing that they all paid attention, because as we're going to see at the end of this chapter, there's a pretty significant offspring from this marriage. Amen? That impacted every single one of us. It impacted all of us, and praise God that when we don't grasp it, and we think things are happening by random chance, our God is in control, and He's faithful. And we need to simply keep our eyes on Him and trust that He knows what He's doing. Notice that they were blessed here and now. They were given a child, exceedingly abundantly above all they could ask or think. And then it said, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. They said, praise God that God has left you a goel, a redeemer. Guys, we need to be praising God every day that he sent for us a redeemer. We need to never take that for granted and never take it lightly. What a picture of God's incredible grace as he blesses and cares for this once pleasant woman who had become bitter. 
and she became bitter over the consequences of her own sin. And though her motives were bad, he still showed her grace when she returned back to the land. God's grace is that this book started with three funerals and ends up with a wedding and a baby shower. Isn't that great? It starts off with three funerals that came out of rebellion and it ends up with a marriage and a baby shower that came out of faithful obedience. What a great and awesome God we serve. Maybe there's been some funerals in your past, in your own life, some struggles, some difficulty. You know what? God still has great things in front of you if you will simply start to obey Him even now. Verse 15. And may He be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you is better than seven sons has borne Him. May He be a restorer. The Hebrew word there is cause you to return and turn back. A nourisher, sustain you, support you, nourish you. Imagine the great joy and no doubt the tears that came at the bearing of a child for this woman who had once been bitter. Look what it says in the next verse. Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. You know what? I love this because she had buried her husband and two sons. She was bitter. And she's come back to the land of Israel with the wrong motives, but she's seen the grace of God. And can you imagine how she must have felt holding her grandson? She must have thought, all those days are past me. I'll never have any more of an inheritance behind me. And the grace of God is now that she's holding in her hand this little boy. And as we know, this little boy will be the grandfather of David. And through that line of this little boy will come our Savior, Jesus Christ. And she holds in her hand the grace of God at work. Guys, if you're not dead yet, God's not done with you. Amen? As long as you're breathing in and out, God still has more He wants to do in your life. No matter what tragedies or struggles or trials you've been through, God is a God of love and grace and mercy. You can take a million steps away from God, and it truly is only one step back. You know what? Like the prodigal son, when you come home, he will not chastise you, but he will kill the fatted calf and he will throw a party that you're home because you're his treasured possession and he loves you. If you're here tonight and maybe you've walked away from the Lord and maybe you've been struggling, tonight get right with him. When the service is over and the pastor's up here for prayer, come on up here and say, you know what? I just want to get my life right with God. This is what God can do. When one poor woman says, God, I'm going to serve you. One poor woman who didn't fully grasp it said, Lord, I'm going to cling to her and your God's going to be my God and I'm just going to faithfully serve. And even if that's all it means I'm ever going to be, I'm willing to do it. And those are the people God uses in the most mighty way. Those who will say, Lord, I will serve you in the most simple way for the rest of my life, Lord, if that's what you want me to do. Those who are faithful in the small things, God will use in the great things. We must learn to trust in the sovereignty of God holding that baby in her hand. What an incredible picture. And again, something she could have never imagined. Know this, that all things truly do work together for good for those who trust in God. Those are called according to His purpose. Amen? All things. And the word all there in the original language means all. Verse 17. Also the neighbor woman gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called this name Obed. Obed means worshiper or worshipped. I like that. They went from being bitter to a son named worshipped. What a blessing. What a transformation we're seeing. The joyous fruits of redemption as she's holding her grandson in her hand and the other women are recognizing the work of God. And they called his name Obed. 
He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So the joyous fruits of redemption are that we get to experience God's mighty hand here and now. But know this, that not only do we see God's mighty hand here and now as we have been redeemed, but it will also impact the future and eternity ultimately. Because look at the rest of these verses. And these verses confirm the prophecy that through the lion, the lion of Judah would come the Messiah. It says, now this is the genealogy, verse 18, of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz. Boaz begot Obed. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. And Perez's father was Judah. Now the reason this is significant is it was prophesied that Jacob's prophecy that the, through Judah would come the Messiah. And so whenever there's a genealogy in the Bible, don't just blow by it. It's in there for a reason, amen? God puts them all in there for a reason. Studying the genealogies, we learn great truth. And here's Ruth, this pagan idolater, this poor gleaner, has now become the wife of, Mo, of, of Boaz, and she's in the line of the Messiah. What an awesome picture. Boaz, a picture of Jesus, our Redeemer. Ruth, a picture of the church. And Naomi, again, the one who God would use, even in her bitterness, to point Ruth to the truth. Now, in closing, we look at the book of Ruth and we very clearly see pictures of our Savior. The kinsman redeemer had to be a family member. Jesus took on humanity. The kinsman redeemer had the, the duty of bearing family members, out of, taking them out of slavery. Jesus redeemed us from our, our slavery to sin. The kinsman redeemer had the duty of buying back land that had been forfeited. Jesus will redeem the earth that mankind sold over to Satan. Amen? It had been given over, and he's going to redeem it. And we're going to reign here for the millennial kingdom. Boaz's kinsman redeemer to Ruth was not motivated by self-interest, but motivated by love for Ruth. Jesus' motivation for saving us was his great love for us. Boaz's kinsman redeemer to Ruth had to have a plan to redeem Ruth unto himself. And some might have thought the plan to be foolish. Jesus has a plan to redeem us. And it may seem foolish to some, the cross of Calvary. And yet the plan works and it's glorious. Amen? Amen. You know, people today say the cross of Christ is a vile doctrine. It's not a vile doctrine. It's an essential doctrine. And it's a doctrine of grace. Amen? That he loved us enough to die on the cross. Boaz's kinsman redeemer took her as his bride. The people of Jesus have been redeemed collectively and we are his bride. And Boaz's kinsman redeemer provided a glorious destiny for Ruth. And Jesus as our redeemer provides a glorious destiny for us. Guys, aren't you glad you're redeemed? And aren't you glad you're redeemed not because of what you've done, but because of what he did for you? And aren't you glad that... We can be married to our Redeemer and walk in intimate fellowship with Him. And as we've seen, those marks of the true Redeemer, it all points to the only one who could redeem us, Jesus Christ. And the joyous fruit of redemption is we can have intimacy with Him right now. Guys, may we not be satisfied with, again, as I said at the beginning, a lukewarm walk. May we not be satisfied with just calling ourselves Christians, having to get out of hell free card in our wallet and living like the world. Does Santa, Cruz need, does Santa Cruz need Jesus? Amen. Santa Cruz, Holy Cross, needs Jesus. Amen? And God used 12 men to turn the known world upside down. And there's a lot more people in the room tonight. And Santa Cruz can be turned right side up by our Savior. And He's not looking for ability, but availability. 
He just wants us to say, Lord, we're right here. Use us. Lord, give us divine appointments tomorrow and help us to respond in faithful obedience to share our faith. People all around us are dying and going to hell without Jesus, and we ought to be burdened for them. I've told you many times, I'll encourage you again as we come up to the birth of our Savior. Start praying for your friends by name. Start praying for your coworkers by name. Start praying for divine appointments, an opportunity to share your faith with them and introduce them to our kinsman redeemer. Because he's not just our redeemer, he can be their redeemer too. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. We thank you for your incredible love and your grace for each and every one of us. We thank you, Lord, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, what an incredible picture of Ruth and Boaz. And this incredible wedding as you brought the two of them together. Lord, we can't wait for our wedding day. We can't wait and we'll be united with you forevermore as your bride. And Lord, I pray that as we wait, that we will be busy about your work. Lord, that we will not sit on our hands while we wait, but Lord, we'll be out reaching others and inviting them to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Letting them know they too are invited to come and be a part of your bride. Father, we thank you. And I pray, Lord, for anybody here tonight that's struggling, that's gone through trials and difficulties. I pray, Lord, that they too would know that you're a sovereign God who's faithful and in control. That nothing happens by chance in your kingdom. Lord, be glorified. Lord, bring, bring revival to Santa Cruz. Lord, start in our hearts first. Lord, give us divine appointments. Move us by your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to respond in faithful obedience as you lead. Lord, we, we wimp out so often. I know that I do. Lord, help us. Give us the strength to share our faith. And Lord, may we live in such a way that others will see Jesus in us. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. let's stand and close the worship song.